We've been going through the Psalms, and we are at Psalm 86 this morning, Psalm 86. The title, which is, is not inspired and is not necessarily secure in what it, what it has to say, but what it does say is that it is a prayer of David, and it surely is a prayer, uh, a prayer, a psalm that is a prayer, prayer of David. Let's stand and I'll read Psalm 86. Hear God's word, his holy, inspired, inerrant, infallible word. Psalm 86. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am afflicted and needy. Preserve my soul, for I am a godly man. O you, my God, save your servant who trusts in you. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you I cry all day long. Make glad the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer and give heed to the voice of my supplications. In the day of my trouble, I shall call upon you, for you will answer me. There is no one like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and they shall glorify your name, for you are great and do wondrous deeds. You alone are God. Teach me your ways, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For your loving kindness toward me is great, and you have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. O God, arrogant men have risen up against me, and a band of violent men have sought my life, but they have not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abundant in loving kindness and truth. Turn to me and be gracious to me. O grant your strength to your servant and save the son of your handmaid. Show me a sign for good that those who hate me may see it and be ashamed. Because you, O Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Let's pray. Father, uh, this prayer is something that we can identify with. All of us can identify with calling upon you in times of need. We pray that you would help us understand and be encouraged in our prayer life. And be focused on Jesus by having work through this psalm. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. One of the the older commentaries, um, G. Campbell Morgan, says that this is a peculiar psalm in many ways. It's, It's largely composed of other parts of Scripture. It quotes other psalms, possibly other psalms quote it, Isaiah quoting it. It, it's, uh, it's, it has a lot of scriptures in it. And the major theme 
is prayer, and it includes it includes in it several major themes I've picked out. First, the joy of prayer is wrapped up in a personal relationship with the God who is there. It's a personal relationship. This, this psalm is all about a very personal relationship with God. And then secondly, it's about the fact that when you are having this personal relationship, it's not with a figment of your own imagination or something you made up. It is with the God who is there. It's the reality of direct contact with the unseen world and with the unseen God, the Trinity, who is there. And therefore, that leads to a third theme. It's hope. Hope in a hopeless world, a seemingly hopeless world, and possibly in the midst of seemingly hopeless situations. The joy of prayer is wrapped up in personal relationship with the God who is there. Uh, We live in a world of disappointment and strife, so this is a haven of relief. It's part of the nature of prayer. It's it's a haven of relief. If you think about Andrew as as he talked about having a, uh, a day of prayer, He's not the first missionary we've corresponded with over the years who have set aside a particular time of prayer. There was one missionary in Chile early on in the history of the PCA who set aside four hours each day to prayer. Four hours of prayer and then four hours of labor. But Andrew sets aside uh, a day and goes down to the river. And as he told us, this morning, uh, the, the Baptist pastor asked if he could go with him. So they both went down. Uh, his name is Raul. So Raul and Andrew went down to the river to pray, uh, and they prayed together for a period of time, about an hour, and then they went their separate ways to pray for the rest. And that's great relief. If you have approached prayer that way, where you go off by yourself, or you're with your, your husband, your wife, your family, but it's not just a matter of, oh, we got to do this, and then we got to brush teeth, and we got, you know, and then we got to do these other things and get to bed. But rather on a, a time when you're off on a picnic or something, or just sitting in the backyard, or after a meal when you don't have to go do anything, and you say, let's just spend some time and let's all just pray, and you just pour out what's on your heart. It is great, great relief. You will find in this psalm our soul and our heart being spoken about. Um, If you look uh, at the the Scripture, verse 2 says, Preserve my soul. Verse 4 says, Make glad the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. In verse 11, Unite my heart to fear your name. Verse 12, I will give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with all my heart. In verse 13 says, you have delivered my soul. So this, this is, it's, it's sort of opening up our hearts. And it identifies ourselves. It, it gives two I am's for us. And, and I, what I think about uh, with the I am in verse 1, he says, I am afflicted and needy. Now, if, if, if I come across the I am's in Scripture, like I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread. I am the water of life. If, if we come across those, I put brackets around them 
uh, because this is the I am that goes back to Exodus 3 when Moses is at the burning bush and he wants to know what name he should, he should, how should, how should he name God when he goes to tell the elders of uh, Egypt and then Pharaoh and his staff uh, who it is that has called them out. And he said, I am, and it becomes the word Jehovah uh, or Yahweh. Um, so when Jesus says, I am, it just, you understand he's saying, I am God. So for the way I mark this up, verse 1 and verse 2, is I put a, a parenthesis around it. So it's like a little I am having direct contact with the great I am. Just little old me, afflicted and needy. Little old you, a little I am meeting with the great I am. And then it says, uh, I am afflicted and needy. I am a godly man. Now, this obviously doesn't mean that he's perfect and he needs to be answered on the basis of his perfection. And you have the forgiveness and mercy and grace and all the rest of the Psalms to make that clear. Um, in the King James, it says, for I am holy. It is the word Hasid, or um, if, if you know anything about Hasidic Jews, uh, Hasidim, it's, it's the ones who, who want to live holy lives. Now, they're living the lives by works and are not accepting grace, but they are trying to be holy. But, but the psalmist here is holy because of the holiness that's been given to him. It's based on the holiness of Christ who was to come. The NIV of 1984 probably says it the best. It says, for I am devoted to you. That's a, a pretty good way to do it. If you look at the French or you look at the Spanish, you'll see that those words are tied to the word pious. And, the, and piety and pious, that's sort of gone out of the English language, but it's, it's a good word. It's a matter of saying, I belong to Jesus. I belong to God. And, and it comes through in this psalm. My heart, my soul, th th I give them. It's sort of like Calvin with his, his, um, uh, his, what's, his motto, you know, I give you my heart. I, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. And so as you go through this, you come down to verse 11 that talks about my heart. And, and what a, a wonderful um, request this is. Unite my heart to fear your name. That would be... Focusing my heart, focusing my soul, focusing my heart to fear your name so that everything I do in life would be in reference to who you are. Now, I think of it as laser. Do you all know what laser stands for? You know, I see some smiles out there. You do know what laser stands for. Um, it has to do with light, right? It's, um, it's, it's light. Amplification by stimulation, emission of radiation. And that's why it's not L-A-Z-E-R, because it's the stimulation in there. Uh, it's it's L-A-S-E-R, and it's a matter of taking light, and we're, we're surrounded by light, and this isn't hurting us, it isn't cutting us, it isn't doing anything spectacular. Well, I think it is doing spectacular things, but if you can concentrate it, 
if you can bring it together in what's called spatial coherence, so it's just very focused, and then that spatial coherence, it can go a long way. It can be a laser pointer, or it can do things at great distances and cause harm, and it can cut very hard things, all sorts of things, but it's, it's sort of becoming one. And that's what it's asking here. It's a, it's a, it's a request for integrity. I praise the Lord that there are believers in this congregation and in other congregations around here that I can, I can slip up behind them at work <laughs> or at school or at different places and I know they're going to be the same person there than they are coming into Sunday school or coming in to church. That is integrity. It's integer. It's one. It's being one. It's being gathered together. There's one. It's being without distractions. What a wonderful prayer for our lives today. You, you want to, there are things you need to do on the computer. How are you going to keep from being distracted? I mean, all this, it's, it's in the world where we live, there are distractions everywhere. But this prayer is saying, unite my heart to fear your name. Give me no distractions. Help me, help me make the main thing the main thing. And his name is Jesus. So that if I am putting raisins in my oatmeal and deciding between brown sugar and regular white sugar this morning, I want to be doing that for Jesus' glory. Uh, whether it's uh, writing a letter, whether it's it's the way I treat my loved ones, my friends, my enemies, whoever it may be, that everything should be done to the glory of God in, with integrity. Um, one dependable person, not to be two-faced, to be always the same. Now, growing in sanctification, so yes, if you meet somebody after 10 years and say, you're not the same person you used to be because you're that much more like Jesus, well, praise the Lord. But not being two-faced, so you're like this over here and like that over there to become more like Christ. So it's really union in Christ. Look at this again. This is uh, this uh, coming together, this personal relationship is really pretty strong. I'll read through the words, the, the, their commands. You can't quite say they're commands, they're requests. But they're, they're imperatives. They are asking for things like the importunate widow. Like you're really asking. In, this, is, this is the little I am talking to the great I am. Incline your ear, O Lord. Preserve my soul, verse 2. Save your servant. Verse 3, be gracious to me. Verse 4, make glad. Verse 6, give ear and give heed. Verse 11, teach me. Verse 11, unite my heart to fear your name. Verse 16, turn to me. O grant, save. 17, show me a sign for good. You get to go sit on the Lord, on, his, on the lap of the Lord on his throne or, 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 or sit beside him and lean against him and, and ask things clearly and specifically. I am reminded of Robert E. Lee after 
the war, two years after the war, he was, he was president of Washington College. And he was, you know, he was Episcopalian. But he had become very close friends with the Baptist pastor in Lexington, Virginia, uh, where, uh, where Washington College, which later became Washington Lee, Washington College was located. And his son, the son of the Baptist pastor, his name was Carter Jones, was, um, was, he was five years old, and he was a dear friend of, of General Lee, or Robert E. Lee. And he was used to coming and sitting with Lee in his, wherever he was. Well, Lee was at graduation, like we've had graduation, commitment, commencement services. Uh, he was graduation from Washington uh, College, and he was sitting on the platform, and uh, Carter saw him and went down front and, and sat down at his feet and leaned against his leg and went to sleep. And then the time came for Robert E. Lee to stand up and to announce the awards, the people who had won the awards, uh, and to hand out the diplomas. Well, he stayed sitting down. <laughs> and that's, just, that's, a real, that's a real sweet story to me. And that is the way I think about your going to the great I Am. Going to God himself. And you're like a five-year-old. And... You don't have to be scared going into the throne room. I mean, he's already extended the scepter. The scepter is the cross. You've already got it. You've got the blood washed, has washed away your sins. So if you're in Christ, then uh, there is a personal relationship. The joy of prayer is wrapped up in a personal relationship with the God who is there. The reality of prayer is founded upon the character of the God who made you and saved your soul. Let's look again at the passage and look at the fours. This, this whole psalm sort of goes back and forth. It's, it's making the request, and then it's giving reasons. So in verses 1 through 4, it's reasons about us. Uh, and, and what you could do is you could go through and circle all the fours, F-O-Rs, uh, and, and one nor, and then a but in verse 15. So you make your request, and then you say in verse 1, For I am afflicted and needy. Verse 2, for I am a godly man, verse 3, for to you I cry all day long. And verse 4, for to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. So this is our relation as, as someone who is in Christ, who, whom the Lord has wor- in whom the Lord has worked. And then it starts talking about the Lord in verse 5. For you, O Lord, are good and ready to forgive. Verse 7, for you will answer me. Verse 10, for you are great and do wondrous deeds. You alone are God. And that's very important. Verse 13, for your loving kindness toward me is great, and you have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. But you, verse 15, but you, O Lord, are a God of merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and truth. Verse 10, when we're praying to God, he is the God who is there. One of the first songs I learned to, to play on the guitar, uh, I, uh, my grandmother left me the money for a guitar, a K. I don't know if anybody knows what that is. It's, it certainly was the cheapest guitar available that could be found uh, by my family uh, when I was 13. Um, a steel string guitar. My, my grandmother said that if I recited the Shorter Catechism, 
that she would buy me a guitar. And she went home to glory before I recited the catechism. But I did recite it, and she had left the cash money in her drawer. Uh, she mainly dealt with cash. And um, she, uh, so I, I, my uncle and aunt took me to a store in Fayetteville, North Carolina. I bought, they bought the guitar and the first song book. And then I was able to get another song book that included uh, various types of songs. And at that point, I knew about the hymns that we sang, but I was always looking for songs that talked about the Lord, that, that were more modern songs, like songs by Barbara Streisand and Johnny Mathis and people, you know, mo- modern people like that. And, um, and so those two had recorded one God. I thought, this is great. I've got a... I've got a song to sing about one God. I believe in one God. That's what the catechism taught me. Now, that's not what the, book, that's not what the, the song says. Millions of stars placed in the skies by one God. That's true. Millions of men lift up their eyes to one God. That's according to how you see that. So many children calling to him by many a different name. Well, now, if, if you're talking about I say God and Jesus and the Lord and somebody an evangelical from France might say Dieu somewhat, sometimes would all, almost always say l'Eternel or le Seigneur. We're talking about the same God, but that's not what the song's meaning. Uh, one father, so many children calling to him by many a different name, one father loving each the same, many the ways all of us pray to one God, many the paths winding their way to one God, meaning through all sorts of religions. To one God. Walk with me, brother. There were no strangers after his work was done, for your God and my God are one. So that's not teaching what Psalm 86 is teaching. Psalm 86, verse 10 says, For you are great and do wondrous deeds. You alone are God. There is no one to compare with you. There's no one to compare with you. So, this is real comparative religion. When you, when you see uh, in the scripture, there in verse 8, there is no one like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any, nor, nor are any, there any works like yours. All nations whom you have made. Comparative religion is that there's no comparison with God. And the first Kings 18 passage that I would like for you to consider, at least at some point, would be seeing how the 450 prophets of Baal went up against Elijah, and, and they called on their gods, they, they stabbed themselves, they leapt around the altar, saying that their God would answer, Baal would answer by fire to, uh, to burn up the Uh, to set the altar on fire, to burn up the offering. And there there was no answer. There was nobody there. There's only one God. But this psalm says that you, as a little I am, you have access, because of what Christ has done, to the one God who is there. And you know what Elijah did? He said, he said, he made fun of him. First, he said, maybe he's on a trip, maybe he's asleep. Then he said, um, then, he, then he rebuilt the altar that was dedicated to God, built it out of the 12 stones representing the 12 tribes, put the wood on it, put the sacrifice on it, and got them to pour 12, 
containers of water on it, dug a trench around it, filled it, the water filled up the trench, soaked everything, and then the Lord answered from heaven. So there are no other gods. There's no comparison because God is God and there are no other gods. I mean, you can make up your own little g God. You can, you can build your own idol out of, out of stone, out of money, out of prestige, out of whatever you want to build, whatever you want to aim for. But there's only one God. And you have access to him in prayer. And you can pray to him the way Carter Jones, you have that familiarity with him. In the very throne room of heaven, you alone are God. One God, first commandment, no idols, there's just one God. The joy of prayer is wrapped up in personal relationship with the God who is there. The reality of prayer is founded upon the character of the God who made you and saved your soul. And the hope of prayer flows from the mercy of the God who sent his son to die for your rebellion and sin. Verse 13, For your loving kindness towards me is great. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. He's obviously not saying, I'm a perfect man, I don't need forgiveness. No, you have forgiven me. Verse 15, But you, O Lord, are a God merciful, merciful and gracious. Mercy and grace. Mercy, not giving you what you deserve, Grace giving you something wonderful that you do not deserve. Slow to anger and abundant and loving kindness and truth. All those words, merciful, gracious, loving kindness and truth. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Save the son of your handmaid. This grace and mercy is something you know about. And according to this psalm, This grace and mercy, the the information that you know, is to go around the world. Verse 9. All nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord. They shall glorify your name. Are y'all catching on to the idea that all the way from the Garden of Eden and the Tower of Babel that has been overturned by Pentecost now, uh, all the way through Isaiah, all the way through the Psalms, It's all been going out to the world. That's always been part of the plan. All of us Gentiles are supposed to get the good news. The people in Honduras are supposed to get the good news. And you are to point them to it. I'd like for you to turn to those passages in in Revelation. Um, Revelation 7 And then Revelation 15. Revelation 7, 9 is the verse that I believe that um, Brian Howard said affected him, a fellow named Scotty Smith that that we were in seminary with. Uh, I heard him refer to this, and it has stuck with him ever since. Uh, 7, 9, after these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne before the Lamb clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands and they cry out with a loud voice saying salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. 
And then verse 12, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, amen. And then uh, chapter 15, um, and this is, a, this, this is one of the early scripture songs we used to sing um, in verse 3. The uh, Song of Moses, the Song of the Lamb. So the Old Testament Song of Moses from Exodus 15 is tied to the Revelation 15 song of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Grace and marvelous are your works, Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true or righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations, who will not fear, O Lord, and bring glory to your name or glorify your name, for you alone are holy. Same statement as in Psalm 86. For all the nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. And you can sing that and end up with hallelujah, 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 hallelujah repeated. I hope you will remember Psalm 86. It's, it's a different kind of psalm. It's the kind of psalm that you can sit down and it can just sort of become yours. It's not talking about a specific situation when David couldn't get back to worship or when David was being chased by Saul or chased or being run out by Absalom. But it's, it's really sort of about us. And it's all possible because what Jesus did, the grace, mercy, love, and kindness, truth, all of that is Jesus. And you know him. And so you can take the Hebrews 4 passage, therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Uh, Hebrews 4.16. And that lets us sing what we just sang. Um, let us love and sing and wonder. And then verse 2, let us love. And then verse 3, let us sing. Verse 4, let us wonder. And finally, let us praise. That was written by John Newton. And he refers back to March the 21st of 1748 when he was on a ship and he thought he was going to die. You know, of course, they were, they were hauling slaves. Uh, and he, he thought they were ready to, he was ready to die any moment. And he said that day, somebody said, well, let's try one more time to plug the hole in the hull. And he responded by saying, if this will not do, the Lord have mercy on us. And it said, he says, I was instantly struck by my own words. It was the first desire I had breathed for mercy in many years. And he calls that day, which may have been the first day of spring or at least close to it, uh, he called that his turning day. And he he celebrated that every day, March the 21st, every year, as he did his conversion and as he did his birthday. Uh, it was his great turning day toward God. Psalm 86. Can you, can you remember something that happened in your life in 86 if you were born that long ago? Maybe you can think about the challenge or disaster. I don't know. Uh, something that may help you to remember 1986 or just the... the the number 86, or just mark it or uh, 
somehow be able to find it in the Bible. It would be a great one to go off by yourself and recognize the relief of prayer. Recognize that when you're talking, you're actually talking to someone. And as Mark's saying, he's the one that's head of the armies. He's the Adonai. Seven, Seven times the word Lord is used in this passage. He's the boss. He's he's the Lord, my Lord, Adonai. And and then you understand that it's all about grace and mercy. And you you get out of your prayer closet. You leave the side of the river. You leave the picnic table or Starbucks, wherever you are. I don't know if that's a good place to have a prayer, relief prayer or not. A lot of distractions. Find a place that doesn't have distractions. And then leave that place and live out the gospel as, as an integer, as with integrity. Having your heart more, more closely united to God. And then share that with others around the world. Specifically in your life today.